Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Glad you can join us tonight for our Wednesday evening Bible study. And tonight we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17 for just a few minutes. And I want us to talk about trusting people and trusting God. And by trusting people here, I don't mean uh, putting your trust in someone in the sense of, uh, I trust this person, I, I trust this person to do what is right, I, I trust this person, maybe it's uh, one of my friends or my spouse. I'm not talking about trust in that sense. I'm talking about putting your complete trust, your complete security your complete faith, your complete hope in someone other than God. And so often what we find is that people trust uh, people, they trust other people to do those things that only God can do. And sometimes they take all of the misgivings and shortcomings of people and they overlay those onto God and they view God through that template when God is perfectly faithful and he's perfectly capable of doing all things, sometimes we take human weakness, and in our human weakness, we take human weakness and try to overlay that onto God and make God less than he is. And sometimes we take uh, the attributes of God, the strength of God, the, the power of God, the omnipotence of God, uh, the, the all-knowing nature of God, the omniscience, as we call it, of God, and we overlay that onto people, and we elevate people's opinions and people's thoughts and people's power above God himself. And so tonight, I just want us to take a few minutes and look at this passage in Jeremiah 17. If you joined us on Sunday morning, we've been working through the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is in the Old Testament, and Habakkuk is a prophecy, and, and technically he is a prophet and he's talking to God, or there's a conversation, an, an argument back and forth with God. I don't mean argument in the sense of um, he, he's, he's arguing and God's arguing back uh, at him. I don't mean that. What I mean is he is voicing an argument, God, why are these things so? And then God gives him the response. And so uh, we talked about this on Sunday. If you didn't catch Sunday morning. You can go back on our website. You can scroll back on our Facebook page. You can go to our um, Apple podcast page and you can, you can listen in on Habakkuk chapter 1 as we began that on Sunday. The reason I bring that up is because Habakkuk and Jeremiah were contemporaries. And so they lived during the same time frame and they were looking ahead to the same thing. And that is the Babylonians coming in and taking captive the people who lived there in the Holy Land and then taking them back to Babylon as slaves. And so you find that Jeremiah 17 is in this context. And that's important to understand because so often we'll look at Jeremiah 17 and we will take it out of context and we fail to realize how much more weighty Jeremiah, this passage we're looking at, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, becomes when we put it in the appropriate context that, that God is going to send judgment in the form of the Babylonians. And so let's look at what God says here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 begins, Thus says the Lord, 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited, uninhabited salt land. So the person who does not depend upon God, the person who trusts fully in humanity, fully in flesh, and makes flesh his strength, and that person's heart turns away from God, that person is set upon the, the power of the flesh, the power of human strength, that person, he says, will be like a shrub in the desert. Now, last November, a group of us from our church went to the Holy Land and we visited Israel. And there was a particular day when we went uh, outside of Jerusalem and we went through the Judean desert and we went to the the place called Masada. It was the place where the the Jewish revolt or the Jewish rebels had a stronghold there. There were some Roman uh, buildings there, some Roman fortresses. Uh, Herod had a palace there. But as we were going into the desert, we found that many of the the parts uh, of the, the desert were not covered at all, did not have any sort of real vegetation except maybe some low grasses. But as we went further in, we would find different places, and you didn't find very large looming trees in those places. What you found were just some, some scrub brushes, as we would call them. They were, they were shrubs, and they were just very low to the ground. They were very gnarled. They didn't get very tall. They didn't get very big because they didn't have that much water. Once we got further in, and we got down to a place where there was an oasis... There were much larger trees, and the trees were much bigger in size. And so uh, Jeremiah is saying, that he's recording, that God is saying that if someone just trusts in human strength, that person is like a low shrub growing in a desert place. But then there's the contrast. Notice what he says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So there's a contrast. There's a contrast between the person who makes humanity, flesh, human strength, his trust, and the person who makes God, the Lord, the the all-powerful right hand of God who makes God his trust. And so I want us to talk tonight about if you are a person who trusts God in this way, what are some of the things that you can expect based upon this last verse in this passage, verse 8. So I want us to look at three major things that, that you can expect if you place your trust in God alone. And then we'll look back at some contrasts here. Now, uh, before we we go further with this, I just want to give you the verses that come before this passage because that's important to establish context. God has said he's going to send judgment upon Judah. That's the southern kingdom there in the land. He's going to send judgment upon Judah because of their sins. And most specifically, or more specifically, he's going to send the Babylonians in from the north They are going to invade and they are going to come down into Judah. They're going to take the people away, take them into captivity. And that is going to be God's judgment 
upon his people's sin. Notice the context of this passage. He's just talked about those who trust in human flesh and human strength. And now he's talked about those who trust in the Lord. But look at the verses just before this. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. They were worshiping idols on these high places. And he says, this is the price. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. So God's anger against sin, God's anger against these transgressions, he is going to pour out his judgment upon the people and they are going to be taken away he says you will loosen your hand from your heritage i give you the the land that i gave you uh, you're going to it's going to be taken out of your grasp you are going to be taken from that land all of your possessions everything that you work for someone else is going to claim them as their own the enemy the babylonians they're going to come in and they're going to do this and i'm going to do this out of judgment and that is the context in which we find the passage we're looking at tonight. More specifically, the one verse, verse 8 of Jeremiah 17, that we're looking at tonight. So understand, God is calling them to trust in a very, very difficult upcoming situation. He's calling them to trust in very, very hard circumstances that are coming upon them. And sometimes we fail to recognize God even in the depth of those dark times because we put so much trust and so much stock in other humans. That's the reason we fear other humans. Because we depend upon our flesh so much that we also are fearful when someone else comes at us or approaches us or, 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 or stands against us as opposed to the work that God wants us to do. And if we didn't trust the flesh so much in day-to-day life, if we didn't trust our, our own human strength so much in day-to-day life, we would not be fearful of someone else's strength when we see that. This week in my small group, I was, uh, brought to, it was brought to my attention a quote by Dr. Tony Evans. People on their best day are just people, and God on his worst day is still God. Now, arguably, some would say, well, God doesn't have a worst day. I understand that, but the saying proves true that people, even at their absolute best, are just people. And God is going to remain God no matter what kind of day is going on. So what are some things that we can know, that we can have, that we can know, that we can cling to based upon Jeremiah 17, 8, if we are trusting God. So if you trust God, here's the first thing that you can know. You have provision. God provides. God provides when you, we trust in him. When we are following him and we know that we are placing our faith, our trust in him, we have provision. Now I know you say, now wait a minute. These people were about to be taken out of the land. The Babylonians were going to come and they were going to take their possessions from them. But we're not just talking about physical possessions. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise I'm going to give you all sorts of material wealth if you follow me. That is not found in the Bible. And I know there are many different 
preachers and there are many different churches that preach that today, that if you are in right standing with God, then God is going to bless you with all sorts of material wealth. Well, that's just not biblical. Uh, in fact, that, that leads people to believe that if they are not uh, materially wealthy, then they must be out of favor with God. That is not the case at all. Look at the case of Jesus. Jesus was not materially wealthy as he walked the face of the earth. So if Jesus did not have a home, that, a place that he could call for his own, to, as his own home to lay down his head, he didn't accumulate earthly possessions, then we can see for him most certainly that this is not a one-to-one thing. And all throughout Scripture, we find that that doesn't bear out. But God will spiritually provide for his people. Notice what he says in Jeremiah 17, 8. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. God provides that sustenance and that spiritual nourishment that we need when we trust in him. Notice it says, he is like a tree planted by water doesn't say he's like a tree that just began to grow by the water. He's like a tree that's always been by the water. No, someone plants the tree. He's like a tree that is planted by the water. Our roots go out into the stream, and we see that provision that comes from God alone. We're not depending upon our own provision. We're not depending upon, upon what we ourselves can do. We are depending upon God. All throughout Scripture, we find warnings that point toward the need to trust completely in God for provision, and we're going to see in just a moment, for protection, instead of trusting in humans to do those things. In fact, if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, you find that God lists a number of things, and he says, these are the things that I require of a king. The king that God is going to establish over the nation, these are some of the things. These are some of the warnings. These are some of the must-haves and some of the must-not-dos. Notice in Deuteronomy what he says. Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen. Only he, that is the king, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Notice he says he must not acquire many horses because God is the one who is going to do the fighting. And so he's saying these people, I I don't want the king to send people to go down to Egypt where they had many horses, many chariots. I don't want them to go down there to establish some sense of well-being. Well, we have all these horses, and so we're going to be able to provide defense. We'll talk about protection in just a moment, but we'll be able to to provide for ourselves. We'll have everything that we need, and we won't have to rely upon God. Now, you find this reiterated in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 31.1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. They're going to Egypt for provision. And God's saying, I'm going to give you provision here. They go down to Egypt for military help. I'm going to give you help here. 
They go down to Egypt because they want a lot of horses or they want an army to back them and they want these horsemen, these people who ride around in chariots. We want them instead of relying upon God. And woe to them, and they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The book of Proverbs, we find the same warning. Or the book of Psalms, I'm sorry. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And so this provision that comes by us being rooted in God cannot compare to trust in anything else. There's nothing else that anyone is able to provide for us that is going to be greater than what God provides for us. Now, I hear the, I hear the, uh, the opposition or I hear the, the argument already, and it goes like this. But wait, what if God chooses to use people to provide for us? Absolutely. God works through people. But we first seek God. And God has given them clear, very clear instructions. Do not go to Egypt and do not multiply horses. So he tells them, don't depend upon these things. And, and I think we all can kind of see in our own lives times where we step over that line. And we step over from the line from trusting in God to fully trusting in people. How do we know if we are trusting more in people than if we trust in God? Well, here's one way we can know. When our plans are changed suddenly and without warning because of circumstances or the situation, what's my first response? Do I go into panic mode? When someone I am depending upon does not come through, do, is my initial response that of panic? Or am I trusting God? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold people to standards. Uh, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't say these are certain things. Maybe, you, maybe you're an employer and you have certain criteria that you won't met. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is ultimately, are we placing our faith in God or are we placing our faith more in people? Notice what Paul writes in the book of Romans. I think I went one too far. Let me get back to it. Maybe I didn't include that. Let me just go on. Okay. Uh, the second thing you find is that you are protected. You are protected. So we find that God gives provision, that you have provision when God uh, is, when you're planted and you're rooted in God, but you also have protection. Let's look back at verse 8 again. And this person who trusts in God, he does not fear and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. So when the heat comes on, when the difficult times arise, there's no fear. But why? Because you realize that you're protected, that you are protected when that heat comes. Now, remember the context we're talking about. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give you, give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. Remember, we looked at this. You're gonna, you will loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you. You're going to be taken away from the land and you are going to be, notice what he says, you're going to be, you're going to serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. So that's the context. Even in this context, they are going to be ultimately protected. Now, are some of the people in that land going to die as they're destroying, as the Babylonians are destroying the land? Yes. 
And are some of the people going to experience great hardship? Absolutely. And are their, the, their treasures, their wealth, that's going to be turned over to the Babylonians? Yes. And are they going to lose the land? And are they going to be carried away into captivity to serve as slaves to the Babylonians? Yes. All of those things are going to happen. But God is saying, ultimately, I'm going to protect you. Ultimately, my hand is going to be upon you as a people. Even if some individuals don't make it, I am ultimately going to protect you as my people. So you know protection. So therefore, there's no need for fear. When the heat comes, we don't have to be afraid because we're planted and we're rooted in the streams that come from God himself. Listen to this passage in Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Just ask yourself, how many times have you lain awake in bed at night thinking about what this person did or what this person might do, what this person might say, what this person might try to manipulate in order to keep you from doing what you believe God wants you to do? Think about how many times and how much time we spend worried about the dangers that other people pose. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about keeping our home safe or keeping our workplace safe and guarding it from outside dangers. And I'm not, you know, we have a security team here at the church that works to protect us as we are here and to keep things safe and to also uh, help anybody who may have some sort of medical need. I'm not talking about that. That's not a lack of faith or a lack of trust. That's just smart. You look both ways before you walk across the street. That doesn't mean that you lack faith in God. That means that you are operating, realizing that we live in a dangerous world and that God gave us some degree of thinking ability to be able to look out for potential danger. But we are protected, and if we look at humans as the ultimate source of power, then we will have great fear toward other humans. But we find in Proverbs that that fear of man that fear of humanity, that fear of what other people might do, if we operate from that place as the the core foundational place from which we operate, we're going to be stepping into a snare, a trap that is going to keep us burdened. It's going to keep us fearful. It's going to keep us from experiencing the freedom that God has for us. And we're not going to have peace. But yet, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There's a, there's a passage that we find in the book of 2 Kings. And it's a, it's a passage about an incident in the life of Elisha. He was the prophet who followed Elijah. So Elijah called Elisha and uh, had him to become the prophet after him, according to God's instruction. But we find that in 2 Kings chapter 6, there is this moment where the king of Syria has been invading the land. And every time he starts to go in and attack the king of Israel, the king of Israel would get word from Elisha about where that enemy king was going to approach or what he needed to do to evade him. 
And so the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6 that this went on a couple of times. And so the king of Syria was concerned. And so he asked some of his counselors, why is this going on? Why is it that every time I start to attack the king of Israel, that he seems to know what I'm going to do? And his advisors said, oh, it's because of this man, Elisha. Elisha, uh, in in the way the Bible puts it, Elisha tells the king of Israel the things that you spoke of in your bedroom. Meaning that even your most private conversations, God is revealing all of these secrets to Elisha, and Elisha is communicating to his king this, this secret information about what you plan to do next. And that is the reason and that is the way that the king of Israel is evading you. And so the king of Syria said, let's send some people down to Dothan, where Elisha was, let's send some people to that city and let's take care of him. And so we find that the, the king of Syria sends horsemen and he sends chariots and they surround the city. And when the servant of Elisha goes out and he sees all of these chariots and he sees all of these horsemen from Syria surrounding them, the, this servant said, what are we going to do? We are in deep trouble. But then Notice what Elisha says, and this is in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us or more than those who are with them. And then he prays that his servant's eyes would be open. And when his servant looks, he sees more horsemen and more chariots, except they are angelic horsemen, angelic chariots. There is an angelic army the army of the Lord surrounding Elisha, surrounding the town, surrounding that area. And they are the ones that Elisha is is saying that they're going to do battle because those who are with us are greater than the ones who are with them. Now, we have to understand that God gives us some protection and oftentimes we don't see it. That's why it requires such a degree of trust. We can trust in God. We can trust in him for protection. This is what we find in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What are you trusting in for that protection? What are you trusting in for the ultimate protection of your family? What are you trusting in, who are you trusting in, for your ultimate protection? For the safeguarding of, say, your job or your physical safety or your ultimate salvation. Who are you depending upon? If you know God, you are protected. You don't fear when heat comes because the leaf remains green because you are a tree that's planted by the waters. Notice what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians to some of the churches at Thessalonica. He writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He says, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. 
for not all have faith. Not all operate by faith. Those people who don't operate by faith, they are wicked and they are evil. They want to do us harm. But notice this, but the Lord is faithful. So we need to pray that we will recognize that protection that comes from God, that God will protect us, that God is faithful to protect us, and that God is completely and totally trustworthy to protect us. I remember a story that I read one time about a a group of missionaries that were in a, a foreign country that was somewhat and sometimes hostile to their efforts of spreading the gospel. And one one day there were some supporters of those missionaries back here in America. And it was evening in that nation on the other side of our planet. And a group of these individuals who whose church supported these particular missionaries, they said, you know, we we just sense that God wants us to pray for the missionaries' protection right now. And so they began to pray. They, they called each other. They formed a prayer chain. And these people here at this church, uh, that particular church, they began to pray for those missionaries. And it was later on that they got a report from those missionaries. They said that uh, the missionaries were out in the field. And what they did not know, and they only found out this later, that a group of armed people were approaching that missionary camp and their intent was to was to kidnap or kill those missionaries and when the missionaries were able to talk to some of these individuals who were planning on doing them harm and when they asked them why was it that you did not attack us they said well we would have attacked you but you had all of those guards posted all around your camp And the missionaries said, what guards? And they said, those very, very large, heavily armed men that were surrounding your camp. Well, the missionaries didn't have any armed guards around their camp. Not at all. The missionaries were just out there. They didn't even know that these other men were intent to do them harm and do evil toward them. But God, through the prayers of his people on the other side of the planet, as they were prompted by the Holy Spirit and they prayed that God would protect those missionaries, God allowed those, those enemies of the missionaries to see these individuals, these, uh, we can only say, safely say, assume that it, they were angelic beings that were surrounding those missionaries and keeping them from harm. God had posted a guard around them. And so we never know what is going on in that spiritual realm that we can't see, but we can trust that God is going to ultimately protect us. The final thing that we find from this passage is that you are productive. If you're trusting in God, God is going to cause you to be spiritually productive. You're going to bear spiritual fruit, even if you are in a land where you have been taken from your original land, even if everything that you own has been taken from you, even if bad things are happening in the bigger sense of it, in the larger sense than that, you are still going to be productive. Look at this last, uh, look at this verse one last time. Jeremiah 17, 8. And is not anxious in the year of drought. It's talking about the person who trusts in the Lord, who is like a tree planted by the streams of water. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. It does not cease to bear fruit. It doesn't say 
uh, you're going to bear fruit in season, but it's going to be a difficult season, and there's going to be a long time where you don't have fruit. No, it goes, you, it does not cease to bear fruit. Continually bears fruit. And remember the context. They're going to be carried away in judgment. But he says, you're going to continue to bear fruit if you trust in me. Even in the difficulty, if you trust in me, you're going to bear fruit. You are productive. This is exactly what Jesus said. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if we're following Christ, notice what Christ doesn't say. Christ doesn't say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, when it is a good season and you're not going through difficulty, he it is that bears much fruit. Jesus doesn't put any qualifiers in there. He doesn't say you're only going to bear fruit when things are looking up. You're only going to bear fruit when you've got a really good job. You're only going to bear fruit when your family is all physically well. You're only going to bear fruit when you're not concerned about anything. That's not what he says. He says you're going to bear much fruit as long as you are connected to Jesus. That means difficult seasons still bear bear spiritual fruit. In the hard times, in the good times, in the times of, of great rains, in the times of great drought, if you're planted there and, in, and embedded there and your foundation goes deep into the person of Jesus and the work of Christ, then you're going to be productive. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have physical wealth or anything like that. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying you're going to bear spiritual fruit. And sometimes... It's in those times of drought, those times of difficulty, that you find the most fruit that is born in your life. There's a story that was told, a true story, about um, a man who had some citrus trees. And he had some orange trees. And there was a drought that came. And when the drought came into the region, all of these other farmers were having to irrigate. They were, they were trying to conserve as much water as they could to, to uh, put that out in their, their orange orchards. It's hard to say. And they were, they were putting it out among the trees, and they were trying to water their plants. And there was also, because it was a drought, they were having to cut back on the amount of water that they could use, so they had to, to ration the water. Except for this one farmer. This one farmer, his trees were doing great. His trees were, were green, his trees were, uh, they, they were healthy, and he was using less water than the other people. And whenever they asked him why, his response was surprising. He said, I, when these trees were young, I intentionally withheld water from them. Why would you do that? He didn't give them great deals of water. He intentionally cut back on the amount of water he was giving the young trees because In doing so, he forced those trees' roots to grow deeper. And they went down deep. And they went so deep that the tree roots actually were were rooted in underground water sources that had he continually watered on the surface level, those roots would have never grown that deep. And so he intentionally held water, intentionally put them in a simulated drought situation, at least in part. And those roots, in turn, grew deep to find that hidden water. And that meant, in the times of drought, 
they survived far better than the other roots who were shallow, the other trees whose roots were shallow. And in the same way, those times of difficulty, uh, just like the time where Judah is taken to Babylon, it is a time of testing, it's a time of judgment, it's a time of purifying, it's a time of pruning, and it's also a time where they can understand and they can see their roots grow down deep into trusting God and trusting God alone. It's the same for us. Times of difficulty, those are the times where our roots can grow deep into some deep water that may be hidden away that we might not even know is there. But as we trust God, we find that his resources are endless, that he has an inexhaustible supply of life-giving water to give us through the person of Jesus. Let's look at one more passage here. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul prays that the church of Ephesus would know some things, and he prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power, the power of Christ, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is the inexhaustible power that we have access to if we trust in God We trust in Christ for our salvation, and we are following him by faith. We have this immeasurable greatness of his power, and it's working in us to make us productive, to bear spiritual fruit in our lives, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead, And the same power that seated Christ at the place of authority at at God's right hand in the heavenly places, that same power is the same power that is in work, that is at work in me, in you, if we are following Christ. It's just sometimes we don't access that power. We don't access that power through faith, through trusting that God already has all that power. And that the power of God within us through the person of the Holy Spirit, that power is accessible. But in order to access it, we must trust him. We must trust him to provide. We must trust him to protect. We must trust him to do the spiritual work in us, to produce the spiritual fruit. Because we ourselves can't work up righteousness, nor can we ourselves convince someone else that they need to follow Christ. That is a work of the Word of God. It is a work of the Spirit of God. We have to be clear. We have to be concise. We have to be accurate about what the Bible says. But ultimately, the work is done by God. God is the one, according to the Bible, who gives the increase. God is the one who gives the growth. So let me ask you this as we close tonight. Do you trust God? Do you trust God in your day-to-day life? Do you trust God that he knows what he's doing? Do you trust that God has a plan and that plan is good? And that plan may run contrary to many of our plans, but do you trust him? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord? Have you said, God, God, I, I can't do it myself. I'm going to trust what your son, Jesus Christ, did for me on the cross? Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Do you know Christ as your Lord? Have you trusted him as the only Savior? Or are you trusting in other things? 
we cannot bridge that gap that exists between us and God. That gap exists between us and God because of our sin. There's nothing that we can do to make up for that. There's nothing that we can do to achieve righteousness on our own. There's no grand cosmic scale where if we do enough good that outweighs the bad, then God is going to give us access to his presence in heaven. It doesn't work that way. It is because God requires absolute perfection that we find ourselves unable to reach his perfect standard. But yet, even though we were sinners and even though we were without hope and even though there was no way that we could bridge that gap ourselves, God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life, who was fully God and fully man at the same time. And he lived a perfect life and then he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. We are deserving to die because of our sin against a holy God. Yet Jesus, in, in his great sacrifice, took that penalty upon himself and died in our place. He was a sacrifice for our sin. When we could not bridge that gap, Jesus did it for us. And then he did not stay dead. To show that that sacrifice was accepted, we just see this. God raised him back from the dead because that sacrifice was paid once for all on the cross. And so now what's left is that we surrender to him, that we surrender to a life following Jesus. And we trust that he is who he says he is, that he's fully God, and that he's, he lived a perfect life, and that he did what he said he did, that is, that he died in our place, and we trust that his sacrifice was completely sufficient. And then what do we do? We trust in him, and we believe by faith. And we turn our lives over to God. We say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, please forgive me for my sins, and I want to live for Jesus for the remainder of my life and for all eternity. And according to the Bible, if we trust in him, we place our full faith in him, then we will be saved and we will have a home in God uh, or with God forever. But not only that, he will empower us by the Holy Spirit to live lives that grow more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus as we live here on earth. And in doing so, we will let others know about Christ and the hope that we have in him. That's what it's all wrapped up in. Am I placing my ultimate trust in people or am I placing my ultimate trust in God? That's the question. Pray with me if you would. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. And we give you thanks that you show us that we can trust you. Your word is clear. That we are not to depend upon humanity. We're not to depend upon our own strength. We're not to depend upon our own wisdom our own intelligence, our own abilities, our own merits. Nothing that we can muster up, nothing that we can work toward, nothing that we can accumulate will ever be enough to bridge the gap that exists between you as a holy God and us as sinful humans. But yet Jesus provided a way. Something that we didn't do, something that we didn't think of, something we didn't ask for, something we didn't create, this was your doing. And you sent your son to die in our place. And so, Father, I pray if there's anybody listening or watching 
who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior. They've never made a decision to follow Christ. They've never surrendered to him. I pray today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, I want to live for you. And I trust you. And I'm done doing it myself. I'm done depending on anything other than you. And I trust you for my salvation. Father, I pray for those who already are followers of Jesus, but they may be having a difficult time trusting you right now. Maybe things are going on in their, in their home or their lives. Maybe something that they're dealing with with their health. And they're having a hard time trusting you. Father, I pray that you might grant them your strength, that you'd grant them your protection and your provision. Father, I pray that even in the difficulty, you would make them productive and that they would see that spiritual fruit that comes from that dependence upon you, that wholehearted trust in you alone. And I pray that they would find renewed strength. And I pray that you would send their roots down deep into those life-giving waters that you provide. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.